Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu from the podcast team at Qalam. We wanted to wish you a very blessed Ramadan. This month you can expect daily uploads that will include reflections, khatiras and khutbas all from our new campus Alhamdulillah. If you benefit from this content, please give generously at supportqalam.com. 100% of your donations goes towards the means of providing accessible Islamic knowledge to people around the world. Jazakumullah khairan for listening. فأعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم وننزل من القرآن ما هو شفاء ورحمة للمؤمنين ولا يزيد الظالمين إلا خسارة صدق الله العظيم The Quran is such a beautiful book it has the ability to change the lives of people like no other book. Sometimes you're just having a rough day and you play some verses of the Quran and it soothes your heart in a way that no music or entertainment can ever come close to. And the reason for this is that the Quran is the kalam of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It guides people. It serves as a guidance just through its presence. Even if a person doesn't understand it, there is barakah and khayr in the Qur'an. For the person who does understand the Qur'an, the change is just a whole different level. I was reflecting over this recently, that every week or so in our communities, we have people converting to Islam. Alhamdulillah. We have... One tomorrow scheduled from for Maghrib Salah at our masjid. And when I speak to most of these folks prior to their actual conversion, one common question we ask is, what led you to Islam? And for many of them, the answer is, I read the Quran. That answer puzzles me so much. And the reason is not because I doubt the power of the Quran or the greatness of the Quran, but first and foremost, the probability of this non-Muslim coming in contact with the Qur'an. And then secondly, the translation they read, Allah knows who did that translation. And then on top of that, which verses do they read? Because there are so many verses that are technical that when a person, you know, you watch a TV show and the first five minutes of it are boring and you're like, I'm not watching that again. And everyone tells you, no, it's awesome. It has raving reviews. And you're like, I am not watching that show. I tried it for five minutes. It didn't work. Who reads in today's world? Who finds the Quran? Who gets a good translation? And then who reads verses that actually cause them to believe that they need to take the greatest decision of their life and change their track of where they're headed and become obedient and subservient and, and tread this path to loving Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is nothing short of a miracle. Rasulullah referred to the Qur'an as the living miracle, one that will remain until the end of times. If we study the Qur'an, 
from a sirah perspective and during the life of Rasulullah we look at people who were impacted by the Quran and what change it brought to them. Tufayl bin Amr al-Dawsi narration is prominent. It's very well known. A man who was informed by the people of Mecca that don't listen to Muhammad's speech because it has a big impact on you. So he was under the impression that Rasulullah words had some sort of magic to them because they couldn't understand how these words were impacting the hearts of so many people. So the easiest solution for them was to just tell visitors of Mecca that this is magic, that this person is a magician. He was very careful because he didn't want to be influenced by any magic. He finds himself at the Kaaba one day and right there next to him is Rasulullah He has cotton in his ears because he doesn't want to hear what the Prophet of Allah is saying. He doesn't want magic to happen to him. He didn't know what he was in for. He sat next to Rasulullah and he heard the Prophet of Allah reading. And at some point he couldn't hold back and he just took the cotton out and he heard the words from the mouth of Rasulullah It changed his heart right there. He went to the Prophet of Allah, had a brief conversation, and then he saying, Ashadu an la ilaha illallah wa ashadu anna muhammadun abduhu wa rasoolah. Wa nunazzilu min al-Qur'ani ma huwa shifa'un wa rahmatun lil-mu'mineen. The Qur'an is a cure, first and foremost, to the illnesses of the heart. It brings a person to Allah. It's the one connection that humanity has to their Lord that is, un, un, there's no barrier between you and your Lord. This is your, your opportunity to speak to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and hear Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That when you open the Quran and you listen to it, it is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaking to you. The ulama, they say, if you wish to have a conversation with Allah, read Quran in salah. Because while you're making dua in your salah, you're speaking to Allah. And as you read the Quran, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is speaking back to you. The conversion story of Umar ibn Khattab radiallahu anh, there are different narrations. One narration suggests that the night before Umar accepted Islam, he was actually walking past the Kaaba. It was late at night, frustrated, wasn't sure what to do with his life. Really kind of angry almost, because he can't find a solution to what's happening in Mecca. So many people are accepting this new faith. He's frustrated. He's walking at night and as he's cutting through the haram, he sees Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam reading Qur'an. Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is reciting. And as he's reciting Surah Haqqa, for those of you who know the surah, its message is very powerful about the Day of Judgment. And there is this beautiful poetic flow like exists in most of the Makkiyatun Nuzul surah, the surahs that were revealed prior to migration. Al-Haqqah, Mal-Haqqah. And as he's listening to these verses that are so awe-striking and they're, they're, they're flowing so well, he's thinking to himself that this man must be a poet. Otherwise, no average person's speech, no average person's recitation has such an impact on another person's heart. And as he's reading, Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam recites the ayah, وَمَا هُوَ بِقَوْلِ شَاعِرْ قَلِيلًا مَا تُؤْمِنُونَ this is no poetry, little do you believe. In his mind, he's thinking that I was just thinking that he was a poet. I didn't even say it. And he reads this verse. There's only one possibility. He must be a soothsayer. 
the next ayah wala bi qawli kahin qalilan ma tadhakkarun this is no speech of a soothsayer little do you learn your lesson and he says i was thinking what is this tanzilun mir rabbil alamin the next verse revelation from the lord of the worlds revelation that changes the hearts of people changes life changes history but only for those who are willing for it the quran serves as guidance for those who purify their heart and are sincere when seeking for guidance through it otherwise if a person is distracted and if while reading the quran your heart is thinking of everything in the world and is polluted with all sorts of impurities you haven't focused on cleaning it out you may not find too much there and this is something i'll speak of shortly imam abu hamid al ghazali rahmatullahi alayhi in the ihya ulum din under the chapter of the of the adab of the quran in fasl thani in the bab thani the second chapter he talks about fi zahiri adab tilawa something i intend to cover shortly the etiquettes of reading the quran in order for the quran to really change your life i just want to point out one thing here among the adab he says among the etiquettes of reading the quran he points out here ay yura'i haqq al-ayat that you are mindful you are considerate of the right due to the recitation there is a famous urdu poet by the name of khaja azizul hasan marzub rahimahullah ta'ala he a lot of his poetry was to do with spirituality and engagement of the heart he wrote one line of poetry and jigar murad abadi the famous urdu poet he said that this one line of your poetry is so valuable that i'm willing to trade all of my poetry just for this one line of yours just one line of yours and he said har tamanna dil se rukhsat ho gayi ab to aaja ab to khalwat gayi ek tumse kya mohabbat ho gayi sari duniya se adawat ho gayi that first line he says har tamanna dil se rukhsat ho gayi that i've sent off every desire my heart ever had everything my heart ever loved anything that it wanted anything that it was inclined towards i've sat down opened the door and told them all to leave the heart it's time for you to go this store is now closed for customers everyone out some desires took longer to get out some went out quicker however ala kulli hal har tamanna dil se rukhsat ho gayi now they've all left it's empty my heart is empty ab to aaja ab to khalwat ho gayi oh allah now you come because it only it only be the two of us it's when a person purifies their heart and removes distractions and then sits with the quran that they find the quran doing its thing those non muslims who read the quran in reality they were at a moment of ikhlas a moment of desperation that a person is calling to allah and asking allah ya allah guide me and they open the quran and they find guidance in it Our Sheikh once shared an incident with us. It's an anecdote, so treat it as that and nothing more. 
don't treat it as revelation or hadith. Now, they, our sheikh shared that, shared that one time a person, he lived in a village and he was going for work. While he was headed to work, he saw on the road people had gathered together. So he asked them, what's going on here? Why are you guys all blocking the road? They said, well, we had a death in our community, unfortunately. But no one is educated enough to leave the janazah. So this person, he wasn't a scholar in any way, but he said, you know what, if I'm, I'm passing by, I know how to do janazah. I learned that much. I can do it. So he went with the people. They prepared the body. They dug the grave out. They buried the man. And he moved on with his day. When he got to his work, he noticed that his wallet was missing. So he tried to trace back his steps and reflect on where that wallet may have dropped. And he remembered that he bowed down to lower the body into the grave, and there was a big chance it fell in the corner that he was standing. So he went back to the village on the way back, and he said to those people that I don't need to excavate the grave. I just need to dig where I was standing. And I was standing on the side, so the body will be untouched. I just need to dig where I was standing, reach down and grab my wallet, and I'll be done. The family agreed. So he dug into the grave where he was, and then as he was taking his wallet out, he smelled a beautiful scent. It was a scent that he had never smelt before. He quickly sealed the grave. But before he left back to his hometown, he went to the family members of this deceased individual. And he sat with his wife and said, so tell me about this guy. So she said, oh, there's nothing to tell. There was He was just as average as everyone in the community. He just had a store and did family things. And that was that. He said, no, there was something about him. She said, no, there's nothing about this guy. <laughs> nothing at all. She said, he said, well, there has to be. I smelled a scent from his grave. Wrong grave. Nothing about this guy. <laughs> he kept insisting that there must be something about him that he did in his life. So then she said, look, in my family, we weren't religious. No one even knows how to read the Quran. We don't even know the Arabic alphabet. In our entire family, we have one copy of the Quran that we own. My husband spends his day working. He comes home. I cook. We eat. And then the next day starts again. However, she says, every morning before my husband opens his store, he takes his copy of the Quran. He puts his hat on. He used to put his hat on when he was alive. He'd do his wudu, put his hat on villager these people have the greatest other and he would sit with the quran and he would look at it and run his fingers through the lines and he would say oh my lord i don't know what this is but all i know is that it's your kalam and it's true she said he would do this for 10 minutes every day yeah allah this is true 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 that's as far as he could go with the quran and our sheikh would say that sometimes a person in their jahala, in their ignorance, can have so much love, so much talab, so much desire that Allah gives them guidance just through looking at the Qur'an. The man probably never read a word of it. He couldn't. He wasn't capable of doing it. Now, I'm not encouraging illiteracy. 
Rather, what we're saying here is that if you want the Qur'an to have an impact on your heart, you must start with building a relationship with the Qur'an. There was a famous scholar by the name of Imam Al-Jazari. You guys heard of the name before? Students of knowledge, you guys have probably heard of that name. Yeah. Uh, if you're learning to read the Qur'an or gaining some expertise in it, you always read the Jazari. After 40 years of marriage, Imam Jazari's father was childless. He had no children. No Imam Jazari, no child. And then he went for Hajj, he went for Hajj and had a lot of Zamzam. <laughs> he says, I drink a lot of Zamzam. And he made a lot of dua to Allah for a righteous child. Not too long after his return from Hajj, Within a year or two, Allah blessed him with a little baby who would later on be known as Imam Jazari. You know, when I see babies running around on campus, the kids running around here, I think to myself, man, I wonder which alama this is I'm looking at. Inshallah. Husnubhan billah. And I don't know which scholar this is and how many people this person is going to inspire. I'm just lucky that I've got my, I had the opportunity to lay his eyes on this person. May Allah now guide their path and open it for them. Mufti Shabir Ahmad Usmani sahab, he was once interviewed and some, the interviewer asked him about his childhood and his life. So he said that uh, there's nothing monumental about my childhood. However, I was blessed to grow up in a city and play in the streets. And while we were playing, Allah blessed us with the honor that awliya of Allah used to walk past those streets and just look at us. And that was my, that's how he introduced himself. That Allah's father was that we were kids playing in streets that awliya of Allah would walk on and they would just look at us. Just that suhba, that connection, that father of Allah is maybe what guided us to where we are. This is this man's humbleness and also something for us to reflect on. Imam Jazari rahimahullah ta'ala, he had a very rough life by the way. There was a point in his life where he separated from his kids Another point in his life where he stopped from doing Hajj, he went through incredible persecution. And through it all, he was still writing and teaching the Quran. Even when he was caught by his kidnappers, he taught them Quran. And one narration actually says that they delayed his release so they can continue and get their ijazah from him. <laughs> they delayed his. Is, doesn't that sound comical almost? What kind of Batami students are like that? <laughs> Ajeeb students want to get ijazah from someone but won't release. I have a really bad thing to say, but I'm not going to say it. No, I won't. Okay. <laughs> If Allah is going to choke me from there, he's going to come and attack me if I say this next statement. Imam Jazari um, is to the sciences of hadith. And what I'm about to say is a little extra, but let me say it. Why not? Come on, let me have this knife. Imam Jazari could be, could be claimed, for those of you who don't appreciate and understand who he is, he is to the sciences of the Quran like Imam Bukhari is to the sciences of the hadith. Right? It, I, I know there's some hyperbole there, but it drives a point that these were people who had a profound relationship with the Qur'an. 
Now, the month of Ramadan is a month for us to all build a relationship with the Quran. Rasulullah when he would read it, he would engage with it, he would interact with it. The Sahaba, they say that we heard Umar radiallahu anh leading us in Fajr Salah, and we can hear his crying from the back saf. He's crying away as he's reciting the verses. The Prophet tells Ibn Mas'ud one day to read the Quran. By the way, this is the greatest honor of all time. The Prophet of Allah says to Ibn Mas'ud, you read Quran for me. Ibn Mas'ud said, O Messenger of Allah, how can I read Quran for you when in reality the Quran was revealed on you and Jibreel used to read for you? The Prophet said, I have a desire to hear it from someone from my ummah, it's you, you're up. Ibn Mas'ud starts reading Surah An-Nisa. And as he's reading, he comes to the ayah, He says, when I was reading the ayah, I peeked up to see what's happening. And he said, Rasulullah was crying and his beard was soaked in tears. The ayat of the Quran had an impact on him. We talked about a person who didn't understand the Quran, yet is benefiting from it. We know a whole generation of people who don't know Arabic. For those of you that are not, you know, Arabic speaking, and that isn't your mother tongue, and even those who are Arab speak, you know, speak Arabic and have that as your mother tongue, you probably don't understand what you're reading because the Quranic Arabic is different. It's classical. Now imagine people who actually understand the Quran. Shaykh al-Hadith Muhammad Zakaria Khandahli used to have two mushafs on his desk. One mushaf he would read. And he would do khatam of it every three days. He would read 10 Jews every day. That was his ma'mul. He would have one mushaf. And the goal was just read. And the second mushaf he had was for tadabbur. He would do khatam every month. In that mushaf, when he would read, with, read from it, he would read one Jews a day. So he would take his time, reflect and engage. Which shows us that there is a time for both. There is a time to engage with the Quran, understand its meaning and reflect. But then there is another time of the Qur'an that you, all you do is you just engage and read the Qur'an knowing that this is the kalam of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now, as Ramadan approaches, we will be reminded again and again of the importance of reciting the Qur'an in Ramadan. This is your moment to build a relationship with it. This is an opportunity for you to maybe find a new depth with the Qur'an that you weren't aware was even available to you. It can happen. It will happen. But when you engage with the Qur'an, you have to do it properly. Imam Nawi has a beautiful book on the adab of the Qur'an. Imam Qurtubi in his muqaddamah, he also has some very beautiful adab of the Qur'an. But Imam Ghazali rahmatullahi in the Ihya, he lists out a few, and I wanted to just share them in a list format without going through all of the discussion under each point. So as we read the Quran this Ramadan, we try to implement some of this. The first thing he says, Al-Awwalu fi hal al-qarin. The first thing is make sure the reciter is in the right state. When you read the Qur'an, ask yourself, am I in the right state to read the Qur'an? Now, 
that when a person is reading the Quran, ask yourself, am I in the right state? Do I have my wudu in place? Am I demonstrating calmness and proper etiquette just in my posture? In my qa'iman, either standing or sitting, whatever posture you're in, but is it the right way? Am I, am I in a calm, focused place? Mustaqbir al-qibla, that a person is ideally sitting while facing the qibla. Mutriqan ra'sahu, that your head is lowered down in humbleness. That you're not sitting cross-legged. That you're not leading back. And not sitting in a way that seems as if you're uh, um, giving vibes of arrogance. Whatever that means in your culture and in your time. right? Because there are different ways of sitting that in, in certain cultures are viewed as the sitting of an arrogant person. While in other cultures it's not. So you got to figure these things out on yourself. Sitting cross-legged, by the way, even though he says something you want to avoid, I'll be honest, if that's what you need to do to be comfortable, do it. Sitting cross-legged in this context is sitting in a way that's relaxed and chillaxed and not on your best. For some of us, sitting on our knees is not something that's easy. We don't have that ability. So sit cross-legged. But just make sure whatever you're sitting or however you're sitting, it's with adab. And the best of state is for a person to be praying, reading the Quran while they are, while they are praying salah. And even on top of that, better than that is to be praying salah while praying Quran, reading Quran while praying salah while in the, while in the masjid. The second thing, he says. The second major consideration is to be mindful of how much Qur'an you're reading. Now the one thing that's very clear is that you must be mindful of reading too much Qur'an. Doesn't that sound weird? Our community is barely reading Qur'an and we're talking about reading too much. But let's start there and then work our place to where we need to be inshallah. Because Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, as narrated by Imam Tirmidhi and the others, that whoever reads the Qur'an, finishes the Qur'an in less than three days, has not engaged with it. Therefore, the ulama, they say, you should not make a habit of completing the Qur'an in less than three days. So the max we're talking about is what? Ten juz. Don't worry, guys. We're going to first make our way to ten lines and ten pages. We'll talk about ten juz later on. And even that, Shaykh al-Hadith Muhammad Zakaria, who I mentioned earlier that would read 10 juz a day, in Ramadan, his practice was one khatam a day. And he would say to the students that that prohibition of not completing the Qur'an in less than three days is outside Ramadan. He said, Ramadan is a month of the Qur'an, go all out. And he would do one khatam of the Qur'an every single day. And for those of you that are thinking this is impossible, it is absolutely not impossible. It is not impossible. When we were in Tahfiz al-Quran, one of our teachers was very strict. And he wouldn't allow, he wouldn't basically give a certificate of graduation until the student read the whole Quran in one go. So we saw this all the time. We saw kids doing it. They would start off to Fajr and read until they were done around Asr time. And then he would say, you did it. You read the whole Quran off by heart in one go. I now say that this is a student of mine. Now, other than this, the ulama do suggest that 
for a hafid of the Quran, it is ideal to make a habit of completing the Quran every week. How many of you are hafad? Raise your hands. Raise your hands high so we can see. No, no, this is not high enough. Like, either there are no sisters that are hafid here, which I don't believe, or they're not raising their hands. I can see you guys. Those of you who have your hands raised, your goal needs to be, inshallah, to do khatam of the Quran on the weekly. That's why you'll notice many of the Qur'ans, they have this hizb system. Have you guys seen that? Yeah, at the bottom, what does it say? Hizb number one, number two, number three, number four. And the idea there is that there are seven of these in the Qur'an. If you read one per day, by the end of every week, you have completed the Qur'an. As for the distribution of the Qur'an in 30 ajazah, this was also done by the Qurra, by the ulama of ilm al qiraah and the reason why they did this was because at the time of Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, clearly there was no such thing as 30 juz. You guys know that, right? The Quran was read based off of surahs. The ajazat system comes into place. The ulama create this so to create a system where the Quran can be read by the ammi person one juz a day and they can complete it by the end of the month. The hizb system was for the khawas. The like those who are more engaged with the Quran, who have memorized the Quran, and so on. And the just system was created for the awam nas so they can engage with the Quran and read it. So, at the end of the day, what I would say is if you don't have a habit of reading the Quran, start reading it. And if you're one of those people that reads very slow and it takes ages to get through one juz, then don't work by Quantity rather work by time. Do you guys understand this? Give yourself a goal that I will read this Ramadan at least one hour of Quran each day. Now, whether you get five pages done in that, whether you get five juz done in that, actually, that's not a good thing. That's too fast. <laughs> or whatever it is that you get done in that one hour, fabiha, that's okay. But you're working by time and you give it the best that you have, and you know, maybe half an hour at the hajj time, half an hour before guru. You got one hour in. Try to dedicate time every day to sit with the Quran and be mindful. Um, number three, he says tartil, which basically means reading the Quran in the best way, um, uh, in the best way possible, giving it your best. There is um, a other attributed to Ibn Abbas He says that for me to read two surahs, Baqarah and Ali Imran, which is quite, he basically chose the longest two surahs. And that's like his lower end of recitation. If you understand, when you hear, you'll understand. He says, the fact that I suffice on just reading these two, with proper reading and proper reflection is more beloved to me than just ya'lamun ta'lamun the whole Qur'an. You guys know ya'lamun ta'lamun? Ta'lamun. Ya'lamun. Too fast. You gotta slow it down a little. Fulfill the adab, of the, 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 the haq of the Qur'an. Okay. Um, the next point that he mentions, the fourth adab, he says al-buka, to cry. That when a person is reading the Qur'an, try to shed some tears. And if you're thinking, I don't even know where to start shedding tears. What if it's what if I start crying and the ayah is about khinzir being haram? <laughs> this happened in our mother's one student. 
he was a lower lower class student. He didn't know any Arabic. He had memorized the Quran. He's like, you know what? The Sheikh told me to lead Salah today. I'm gonna kill it. So he got up, he got a khanzir and he started crying. Khanzir so, so, means swine, by the way. So after Salah was over, it was Qiyamul Layl. So now we had uh, a suhoor together. So we do suhoor with the asatiza, like with the teachers. So we all sat together. Mufti Shabir Sahib was there. He was our teacher of Tirmidhi and Bukhari as well. Everyone knew that he was going to say something. So we all sat close to him in suhoor so we can enjoy the laugh. So that student was serving food and he was avoiding Mufti Shabir Sahib. So one of the students said, Yar, no one give Mufti Shab chai, go give him chai, you go give him tea. He goes, many jata, I'm not going. He said, no, you give it to him. So then finally he went to give Mufti Shab tea. Mufti Shab looked at him and goes, Are, did your hamburger both you have that You're missing your hamburger so much that you're crying about it in Salah. So if you're one of those people like, I'm not sure, I don't want to botch this up, I don't want to cry out the wrong ayah, right? So easy tip. You see Jannah, you, you read the mention of Jannah, you know that word Jannah, right? When you come across it, Jannah, what does it mean? Paradise. Let your heart yearn for it. When you come across the word Nar, Jahannam. Anyone know what Nar means? Fire. What does Jahannam mean? Hell, like it's a name for it. What does Adab mean? Like a punishment. When you come to those verses, you start freaking out. Ya Allah, save me. I don't want to. I don't want to go to that one. I want to go to this one. I want this one, Ya Allah. I want Jannah. I want to go close to this and be far away from that. Keep it simple and easy. Al Buka. Then he says, um, to fulfill the right of the ayat that you're reciting. What that means is, that when a person reads the ayah of sajda. Then the haq, the right of that ayah is to do what? To do sajda, fulfill the right of it. Um, okay. He also says from the uh, from the etiquettes of the Quran is to start with That this may sound trivial, but it's not. Keep in mind, he's only listing eight adab. Okay. And out of these eight adab, out of these eight etiquettes, Number six, he says, is to read Quran at the beginning. Now, why he points this out is first of all, it's a Quranic injunction. When you read the Quran, say A'udhu Billah. You know how earlier I was speaking of being in a sound spiritual state when you read the Quran? Saying this A'udhu Billah before you start reading offers that to you. Before you start reading the Quran, one thing I say to my children, Alhamdulillah, they're memorizing the Quran. One thing I always say to them, if you read the Quran without invoking Allah's name and without making a little dua before you memorize, tomorrow when you memorize the Quran, you're not going to attribute that journey to Allah. You're just going to think you winged it and you put time into it, so it happened. Before you open the Mus'haf, just spend 30 seconds and make dua to Allah. Ya Allah, I don't know how I made it to this point where I'm sitting in front of the Quran. I've gone years without sitting in front of the Quran. So the fact that I'm sitting with the Quran face to face is a blessing. I'm thankful. Thank you so much. Just start there. Ya Allah, don't let me be a foreigner to the Quran. Ya Allah, let me enjoy it. Let me be regular with the Quran. And then ask Allah to guide you through it. When you struggle, if you're struggling with the word, just stop and say, Ya Allah, help me through this word. You know? So you ask Allah for the Quran. So here, 
when you start your recitation of the Quran, start with A'udhu Billah, asking Allah to protect you from shaitan. Now when you read the Quran, inshallah, you won't be as distracted. And if you are, then say A'udhu Billah again. And if shaitan's bothering you later on, he's like, oh, you know, I'll drowsy and sleepy, get up, walk around, refresh your wudu, come back. Because you can focus on the Quran for 30 minutes. Would you guys agree? You can give your attention for 20, 30 minutes. That's why TV shows are at that duration because people have that much attention. So give it that. And don't walk away. Okay, number seven. When you're reading the Quran, try to read it in a way that you can at least hear yourself. This allows you to enjoy it and engage with it further. Don't just read silently because you'll get drowsy and sleepy and you won't be able to engage as much that a person should read. That a person should at least try to read in a way that they can hear themselves. Right. And the last thing, he says, which basically means when you're reading it loud to hear yourself, put a little beautiful tune to it. Add some pizzazz to your recitation. Whatever that means for you. What, I'm, and I'm being honest. You know, some of us who don't have that voice, you know which voice I'm talking about? The mashallah voice? <laughs> Team, not so mashallah voice. <laughs> We're shy to read because we think, yeah, if someone else is going to hear me, they're going to think there's a cat crying. <laughs> Hold on, I'm not going to do it. Don't be afraid. You're not trying to please people. You're trying to read for the sake of Allah. Take inspiration from people who sing in the showers at gyms. They don't care about anyone that can hear them. You guys ever been in one of those situations where you're like in the locker room area and kind of washing up and there's someone who, who's like, that person has confidence in their voice and their garbage they're singing. When you're reading the Quran, give it your voice. Give it your love, right? Give it that gentleness. Okay, so with that, we'll stop. Uh, we pray that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accepts and grants us tawfiq to build a meaningful relationship with the Qur'an and allows this Ramadan to be a Ramadan that we grow a step further in our journey with the Qur'an, a place that we've never gone before. Understand something, connect with a verse. Maybe one day you're just reading and there's a tear flowing out of your eye and you're like, I have no idea what's going on. Just smile, thank Allah, and keep doing it. Because the Quran will do awesome things to you. It's got to clean the heart and give it its chance. Wa sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Muhammad. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.